Hey, welcome to a Zion People podcast. I am Keelan, an intern at Zion Church, and this is our latest message. The team here hope the message challenges you, inspires you, but most of all, builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Well, big thanks to our band this morning. Why don't you just give them a, a sign of your appreciation? Um, we, uh, we got the old school back, uh, and we were delighted when they said yes. And uh, there's a few that couldn't make it, but it was just a bit of fun. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that. And I uh, just uh, want to honor um, Cyril and his sensitivity, really, to what God's saying in the season. So thanks very much for that. Well, I want to say welcome, not only to Zion, but welcome to our new series. Uh, this morning we're beginning a new series, a teaching series called Your Kinsman Redeemer. And uh, we've been posting about it on the social. Uh, if you're not following us on social, then uh, you can follow Zion People. It's our public page. It has videos and other things, and it's where we live stream. So there are some people at home already uh, connected with Zion People watching, uh, and so we welcome you at home as well, or you enjoy your cup of tea sitting at home in your slippers. A Kinsman Redeemer series is uh, structured over four messages over four weeks, because there are four books in the book of Ruth. It just seemed to make sense. The purpose of the teaching series that I'm setting up this morning is not to run line by line through every verse of the book of Ruth. That would take us a month of Sundays, and your dinner would go cold if we did that. But what I'm really hoping as we do this, and we're going to, I'm going to explain what we're doing, but as we journey through this in a, in, a, in a teaching style, what I'm really praying is that God would um, stimulate your appetite, your hunger, your desire to, to dig deeper in the Word of God than perhaps you have before, or perhaps in this book if you've never done so. We're looking to uh, open up the Scriptures in order that you would see God revealed in the text. And after all, as you're going to discover over the next few weeks, the God we discover in the Scriptures, He is in fact your kinsman redeemer, which is the name of our series. So we've structured things quite deliberately in what we would call an exegetical approach, being the unpacking of Scripture. It's a teaching model, and we're structuring our time together in that way. And uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at um, the text from an exegetical point of view. And to do that, we've invited others to, to help us with that, and, and Rich is going to come and do that soon for this morning. The other thing that happens when you study text in this way is that you look in the story, in the, in the text, for what's called eternal principles. What did God say then that surpasses time? What can we learn? What do we take out of that? And so, again, there's a month of Sundays that we could spend discovering what is in even the first passage of Ruth. So we're not going to do everything. We're going to just look at what God's saying to us today and bring that home. Because the, the next part of exegetical process is we, we, we transfer. It's called, um, in the teaching model that we teach in Bible school, or Craig teaches in Bible school, it's called crossing the bridge is how do you cross the bridge from then, the culture of the time of the writing, how do you cross the bridge to now? How does it make a difference in my life now? 
Because God is eternal and he wants his word to give life to you today. And so we'll be looking to do that as we uh, travel along. And then finally, as always, I say this, Jesus is the hero of the story. So what I like to do is try and find how it points to Jesus. And so we'll be doing that. And you'll see that structure in the way that I bring about the message this morning. And we've got someone, uh, uh, so we've got a surprise for you next Sunday in our message. And then uh, there'll be other speakers through the month. But let's pray before we start, eh? Almighty God, I thank you for your word, the Bible, Holy Scripture. We honor it as the eternal word of God. There is nothing that compares with this God. And I pray today that as we honor your word, as we focus on it, God, that your spirit would enlighten our minds and our hearts to receive something from you today. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that we would find you in the story that we study this morning. We bless this time in your name. We thank you for what you're doing. Amen. Well, I'm going to just um, take a little bit of time before I dive into the chapter, uh, or invite Richard to. Um, I just want to explain some history, because we're looking at four weeks. So if you haven't already found Ruth, uh, it's in the Old Testament. And uh, I posted on the social last night, I encourage you to read Ruth this week. I encourage you to read it before you came, but I encourage you to read it when you go home. Uh, Ruth is uh, a historical book. It's, it's after the book of Judges, and it's before 1 Samuel. But if you're swiping on your screen, you'll see it quite easily. Uh, traditionally, meaning based on tradition, we understand the author of this book, the person who narrated it, wrote it, was Samuel. Samuel was a prophet in the Old Testament, one of the last judges segueing into the kings. And this little book is squashed between those two seasons of the Old Testament. Um, the date of writing, if you just Google it, I mean, anyone can do that, you'll discover it's approximately 1322 BC. Now, that just means absolutely nothing to me. I mean, 2020 to me feels like it's been a lifetime. So can you imagine 1,322 lifetimes before Jesus, which was actually 2,000 years more, more before today? I just can't comprehend that this happened over 3,000 years ago. So when I'm reading the Bible and I'm like going, oh, well, yeah, I don't even know what the world was like back then. I guess they didn't have um, smartphones. I guess they didn't have like instant takeaway food that you could get at any time of the day or night. But I just can't comprehend with it. So what I like to do, and I, I just share this in case it helps you, is I like to look at what other stories are happening around the timeline. Because it just gives me a little bit of context. So if you, if you read this and, and you know your Old Testament, you'll remember that King David, the, the dude that fought Goliath and was well known as a king who's had a heart after God. Don't look blank. Come on. Nod. David, you know him, right? David... We find out, if you read the story, he's actually the great-grandson of Ruth, or will become the great-grandson of Ruth. So that's like four generations. So think of your grandparents, imagine your grandparents, and then if you know them, imagine their parents. I mean, it's a long time ago. Anyone a great-grandparent in the room? Bev's a great-grandparent, so she's got a great-grandchild, so she can connect the four generations, but, but we can't do that. I met my great-nana once. I think I was about seven she was really elderly at the time, and I remember she was in bed in my nana's house in Raumati South. I think I was about seven, and we were there visiting my nana, my mum's mum, and this woman, like I don't know if it was a party trick or not, 
but she could recite the books of the Bible forwards and backwards. And when you're seven, that's like a superpower. I was like, wow, still a superpower, right? So, so that's the context for Ruth. Ruth um, was happening, the story was happening, they say, at the same time, the story of the judges. So you read the beginning of Judges, and you get to Judges 4, and you discover Deborah. Well, somewhere in there, somewhere, because it's not 100% accurate, is the story of Ruth. But when you read the book of Judges, you discover the world's a mess. So look at Ruth 1.1, if, you just, if you've got your Bibles. In the days when the judges ruled Israel. Well, so this is when the story's happening. In the days when the judges ruled Israel. The previous book is Judges, and you only have to go to the opposite page in your Bible and read the last verse in Judges to know what it was like. So for those of you that are on a screen, you're going to have to swipe and click to get to a different book. But for me, I just look across the other side. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Everybody was the Lord of their life. And it was chaos. You read the story of Judges and the seasons of the leaders, you understand that it's just lawlessness. Everyone does what they want. They make an idol out of something and they worship it, and then they make everybody else do the same. There's killing, there's stealing of women, there's all sorts of chaos going on. And we just see this season of hopelessness. And we're going to find that in the story as we look at Ruth. God's people are lawless. It's 3,000 years ago, right? So we've got to think about the culture and the day and age they were living in. As I said before, I've got no grid to put this on. Like, if I can't go and get food or coffee when I want it, if I can't get uh, anything I need on my phone anywhere in the world, then I'm in a crisis. But back then, it was... uh, agricultural type society they worked so they could survive there was a famine in the land we're going to read that in the beginning there's a famine and you can't just get a COVID relief fund handout you can't go on the unemployment benefit you can't get money from someone else you live or you die by what's happening on the land your land this is what's happening this is the time we're reading We've got to try and zoom ourselves into that space and time to understand it. Family land is owned and passed from generation to generation. If you have a son, you can pass the ownership of your land to your son. But the future of your family is dependent on the fruit of your womb. And quite frankly, in those days, if you have no son, you're worth nothing. If you're a woman and you have no son, you're scorned and shamed. And these days, people saw their circumstances as God-ordained. So a famine means God's judging us. He's punishing us. He's taking us through something because he wants us to repent from our sins and allow us, we need to allow him to to transform us. That's the way that they view this if you read the story. It's the context. We've got to get our mind in line with this so that we can read the Bible as it was written to then discover what God's saying to us. There's no equal rights, there's no social welfare, there's no internet, there's no safety. War is common, and people die. Your sons might die, and we're going to see that in the story. 
But this is also a really good way for us to learn how to see God. Because as I prayed, and I'm determined to, to, to have us understand, we, we see God through Scripture. We see God's people through Scripture. And that's, the I suppose, the different view that we look at when we're looking at a teaching context. There's a whole bunch of parallels in here, and we're hoping to unpack those for you as we travel. Lots of layers to the Scripture, and that's why we do what we call exegesis. So I'm going to invite Richard to come and join us. Uh, We've invited a different person each week just to come and to share some thoughts on how do we unpack these lines of Scripture, or should I say some of the lines of Scripture. Richard, why don't you come and uh, share what you've got for us this morning. Thanks very much, Phil. I'm blessed we live in a day and age uh, where we can have glasses, and sorry, they're not my best glasses, but you won't be looking at me much (laughs) during this exercise. Um, Thanks, Phil. That was an awesome introduction. And um, for me, this journey into exegesis, when when Phil asked me to participate in today, um, I thought, oh, that's going to be a job. But it's actually been an amazing blessing as the further I've dug into the scriptures and the more I've listened because I'm an auditory listener and have the benefit of an audio Bible and replayed it. Um, So much gold has come out as you sift, as you re-listen, as you re-read, and I encourage you to do this, you'll see more and more coming to the surface. And even overnight thinking about this, this morning there's been some new insights, so what a blessing we have to have the, the Word of God available to us. Um, and, and the process of exegesis is about drawing things out, and I was, I was reminded of the book of Exodus, which is about um, going out. So, so let's look among the chaos and, and see what God has to say to us. Um, <clears throat> so um, slide one, please, Stu. You've got the whole page there, just... Um, you can read six times as fast as I can talk, which is good news. Feel free to look at that as we go. Um, in the day the judges ruled was a time of oppression as well as confusion and lawlessness, as Phil mentioned. And um, very frequently there were raiding tribes that came in and, and took stuff away from Israel. Do you remember the story of Gideon hiding from um, <clears throat> some Um, raiders. And the Moabites, of which Ruth was one, were one of those enemies, although they were actually related to Israel, um, because the Moabites are the descendants of Lot. They had a a common ancestor. They were actually um, enemies. I wondered what that would look like today, maybe the Serbs and the Croatians. But um, there were, at some point, thousands of people slaughtered by each other. And when Um, when that family moved there, I wonder what it was like moving to a foreign land where they weren't your friends. Can't have been easy. And how did those boys find a wife? And when the boys died, Naomi lost all her security. As, As Phil mentioned, if you haven't got a son, you're nobody. And she did have, and now she doesn't. Um, Wow. So verses 6 to 10, um, Naomi uh, decided to head home where there was food. Um, And she had a heart for her daughters-in-law, and she said to them, look, you're really better off staying here. Your chances of doing well in life uh, 
will be much better if, if you stayed here. And, but they wanted to go with her, which was really interesting. And they both wanted to go with her. Um, next slide, thanks, Stu. So in here, Naomi turns up the heat. She actually says, look, girls, uh, this is a reality check. What are your chances, really, of, of having sons? Even if I had sons now and you married them, are you going to wait? And at that point, the girls thought again, and one of them turned back, and one of them went on. Ruth clung to Naomi. Something had happened there where Ruth had become like a blood relative. There'd been some sort of transformation where it wasn't just about the security of belonging to her, um, Naomi's son, but in, but in fact, Ruth had something more. In her heart, she belonged to the people and the people of God. Next slide, thanks, Stu. And, and so there was actually something much deeper going on here. And um, Ruth had the connection to God and was wanting to go back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the town where Rachel, the, the favorite wife of Jacob, was buried. And she was willing to say even, I will be buried with you. There are those amazing words, where you go, I will go, where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. So Ruth was all in. She had a new identity, and she had a determination to follow. Next one, thanks, Stu. So when they got back to Bethlehem, these two women... The town was actually quite excited to see them. So I'm guessing that they had not left on bad terms in the beginning. But here was someone effectively like back from the dead. But who was this that was with Naomi? Who was this Moabite? You know, a person that at best is a stranger and came from an enemy camp. But what were the hidden things that God had that were later revealed in Ruth? And Naomi felt bitter because she was, sent, she was sent away full and came back empty. But was she really? Who had she come back with? And maybe Ruth, you might think, might feel bitter. You know, I've lost my husband. Things aren't going well. But she saw God and followed God. So to Naomi, life may have seemed bitter, but in fact, there was a greater purpose. And maybe that's where we can connect with the story in our day. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, thank you, Richard. Um, just uh, got to appreciate how hard that task was, <laughs> to uh, that assignment, was to take that chapter and summarise into four or five key thoughts. So thanks, Richard. Um, I appreciate that. That's really good. Um, as, as we look at this chapter... You want to understand, if you, if you look at it, there are actually three parts to the chapter. If you look at the structure, there's three parts to the chapter. They're like, um, 
They're like three scenes in a play. And, and so the, the first scene has got some stuff going on, and, and the second scene is stuff going on. The third scene has, has got a little bit of an interest to it. The first scene, we just see the, this whole story about tragedy and loss, as Richard said. You know, they'd, they'd gone away because of a famine, and they lost their, first they lost dad, Elimelech, and then they lost the two sons. It's tragedy. It's, a, it's like a great opening script for a drama. You know, if, if you're telling a story, because remember, there's no Netflix. There's not even written history. Most families are sitting around the fire, and they're telling the story to their children. And you've got to be sitting on the edge of the rock, you know, probably no armchair, sitting on the edge going, well, what's, what's it about this drama going on? You know, Naomi suffers a lot of loss. She's away in a foreign land, and, you know, um, some research says that it was her sons. Her sons were actually killed in war as they fought against Israel. I mean, oh, my goodness. The tragedy and the trauma, it's completely hopeless. And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, I wonder if you see yourself in that story. Maybe you've got a tragedy going on. Maybe there's some trial in your life. Maybe there's some uncertainty, lack of income, lack of family, lack of future, lack of hope. You know, one of the things you're going to see in the story is uncertainty can drive us away from God or it can drive us to God. We always get to choose. In the end of the scene, you know, it says she goes home because there was abundant crops in Israel. But that wasn't how the story started. I'm listening to this and I'm going, well, what's God, God doing? The second scene in the story is that passage in the middle where uh, Naomi says, girls, you need to go back and understand culture, as Richard said, for, for, for them to have their lives fulfilled, they needed to marry and have offspring from one of their dead husband's brothers. That's how the culture worked, how they would honor him. It's to give their first child to the dead husband, uh, and in his honor, I mean. And like, Naomi's like, well, am I going to have another baby? And are you going to wait around? And what's, what's the story here? It's just full of hopelessness. But here we see the spotlight come onto Ruth because there's a contrast. Richard painted this really well. The two girls did want to go. Orpah and Ruth said, yep, we're coming with. Naomi goes, no, no, you shouldn't do that. There is no hope for you to stay with me. And Orpah goes, mm, I guess you're right. She turns back to the Moabite way of living, the way of the culture, and in fact, to worship their god, Chemoth. Chemosh. But Ruth, she makes a different, different approach. She says, no, as Richard read that famous, that world-famous passage. And you know what? I was reading this, and I reckon, in my humble opinion, these are actually the words of Jesus from before the beginning of time. Stop urging me to abandon you. Forever you, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will become my people, and your God will become my God. Can you hear Jesus in that? And Ruth makes a covenant commitment with Naomi, and it changes her life. It's the, it's the climax of this chapter. It's the key point, and we're going to zoom in on it, but it's not the third scene. The third scene reveals something very different. As Richard said, they, they come back home and the town receives them with, with some kind of elation. There's a, hey, hey, it's Naomi. And she says, don't call me pleasant, which is what her name means. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. For I went away full and now I am empty. 
And beside her, as Richard so well pointed out, here's this young Moabite girl who's pledged her life to the end for eternity to Naomi, her mother-in-law. And Naomi says to her friends, I'm empty. I'm nothing. I'm without hope. How would you feel? It's kind of like the end of this TV episode where you're left hanging. I don't know if you guys watch series on TV. You remember the old days when you had to wait till next Tuesday at 7.30 to see the next episode? You remember those days? It was ages ago, right? But you're left hanging, you're going, what is going to happen next? Seriously, we've got to wait till Tuesday. My kids are looking at me going, what do you mean? That's, like, that's not real. I'm like, yeah, that was how we lived. <laughs> but that's what it's like at the end of this. It's really clever because you've got Naomi saying, I'm empty. And, and yet there's this girl and you're, and you're listening to the stories. You sit around the fire and you're like, but what happens? Is there hope for these women? Is, is there something that they can cling to or do they remain bitter forever? It's a perfect transition to the, to the next scene, but we might not tell you that story till tomorrow night, kids, because it's bedtime. Because if you read the story, and I encourage you to read Ruth several times this week, you'll know that in the beginning of the next chapter, she goes out into the fields. So this clever little clue it's like, a, it's like the subtle thing that the author writes into the story right at this point. Because he says, Ruth, Naomi and Ruth returned at the time of harvest. But wasn't, wasn't there a famine? There was a famine, that's why they left. But they returned when the harvest was full. And I'm listening to that because I'm used to listening to farming stories in this day and age. And I'm going, well, there can't be a harvest unless there's plenty of crops. There can't be plenty of crops unless God blesses us. And, and God blesses us because we're one with him. I wonder if God will bless Naomi and Ruth. It's like a cliffhanger into the episode at the end of chapter 1. So that's the context and the structure and the way that we need to read it. The key theme in this, as we, as we look at this, we, we decided the key theme, because there's lots of them, the key theme we would pull out is, is a setup for you in this chapter, and it's a theme of connection. And we've been praying into it, we've been singing into it, we've been declaring it faithfully. It's the key theme here, the key theme is connection, and it's what we're going to focus our attention on. But the question is, why, why does that matter to you? Why does it matter to the reader in Te Aumudu, who's reading Ruth 1, why on earth does this matter to me? Well, what you see in the story is connection becomes your choice. Contrast Orpah and Ruth, they both had the option. And one chose connection and one chose disconnection. But the good thing is, for Ruth, is in choosing, making her choice, she actually found Jehovah. She found El Shaddai, as Richard says. She found God, Yahweh the God of all creation. The second thing we see with this concept of connection, the theme is, is, and I want you to see it because it's found in Ruth, is connection looks like loyalty. But loyalty requires sacrifice. Connection looks like loyalty, and loyalty requires your sacrifice. Ruth gave up everything. She walks away from her family. 
She walks away from her ancestors. She walks away from her culture. She walks away from everything that would give her a hope and a future, and she leaves to go with a barren mother-in-law that has nothing. She says, your God will be my God. She gives up worshiping her God that she was raised with, and she goes to worship a God who she's come to know through living with Ruth, with Naomi. And I think this is kind of like the eternal principle that I pulled out this week as I was reading it. The eternal principle is, what am I going to think as a result of reading and studying this passage? What is it that I think God's saying to me, or to, in this case, and to us today from Ruth chapter 1? What am I going to try and apply? And you know if you've been around Zion more than five minutes, you know that we say family's really important to us. We notice that family gets attacked the most. So I think family means a lot to God too. And this is the principle. Our connection with others is God's plan for us to bear fruit, kingdom fruit. Our connection with others is God's plan for us to bear kingdom fruit. Don't forget, Ruth is the great-grandmother of David, king of Israel, united Judah, Judah then Israel, he's the one who had a heart after God. Orpah chose to return to her known world, her comfort, her tradition, her family, but in doing so, she rejected Jehovah. She rejected the God that she had lived with. And there's a, there's a little clue here, and you've got to spend a few hours in the text. And, and, and so I'm not saying you should have done this, I'm saying this is what I had the privilege of doing in preparing for today's message. It's a little word that is fundamental in this story. And it's one word that God uses time and time again. I've preached on it before from a completely different passage in Genesis. It's this little Hebrew word, and I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong. But it's hesed. Is it close? Hesed? H-E-S-E-D. See, Claude, if you would like the connect pronunciation. Thank you. But, but it's a word that God uses to describe himself. It's a word that God describes um, a heart attitude and a posture before him, and it's a word that's used time and time again in this passage, and it means this. It means loyalty. It means faithfulness. It means commitment. It means devotion. And the key thing we see in the story is God has demonstrated his devotion to these two women. We're going to see it. We are going to see it as we do the journey. But more importantly, what we want to see in the beginning is that Ruth shows her devotion to Naomi, and we will see that God's going to reward that. As I studied this, just to give you a little bit of background, this word hesed, apologies, uh, is not just affection or emotion. It's not just I like you because I feel like it. This kind of devotion that God's talking about, when he describes himself and he describes Ruth, it's, this is just, let me read this to you. It's a consequential action that is made by conscious choice so that it leads to the benefit of someone else. A consequential action that I choose and something I do because of a deliberate decision, a conscious decision I've made that benefits someone else. This decision of commitment results from a deep and enduring commitment to the other party. 
I'm doing it because I want to, because I care about you. And we see this in Ruth chapter 1. Ruth makes a choice to commit herself to Naomi. She demonstrates her deep and enduring loyalty to her mother-in-law and says, I will forego everything else because I care about you. And in doing so, as you will see as we journey through chapters 2 and 3 and 4, as she finds a future brighter than she could have ever imagined. And it's on the other side of her devotion. What does that mean for us? How do we apply this to our lives? Um, I have this phrase that I learned with regards to devotion, with regards to connection. That's our theme. Our theme is connection. Our key word is devotion. Regards to this, I'm now crossing the bridge. We've understood the text and the time, and we've understood, we've dug until we found what we think is an eternal principle or a word that God wants to highlight. And now we're going, well, what does that mean for me today? There's a phrase that I had to learn to uh, do my best to keep my marriage healthy. And I'm going to share it with you today. This phrase is, I choose to protect our connection. That's the phrase that I use. And I learned it in this context. In relationships with others, marriage is a brilliant example because it's a covenant relationship. But you can choose it in friendship. As I learned this, I discovered that we could be in relationship or friendship because we agree. Everybody take their hands and put your fingers together like this. When we are in relationship because we agree, we're like this. But the moment we have a disagreement in our relationship, we can no longer be in relationship because the point of agreement is no, not longer there. But a covenant relationship is deeper. So take your hands and cross, link your fingers like this and then close your fingers like that. When we're in a covenant relationship, we have this bond, a bond before God with someone else that we've made a covenant with that is a lot more solid. Would you say this is a lot more solid as I shake it and move it around? But watch this. In a covenant relationship, if we don't agree at some time, we're still bound together because we're not, we're not together just because we agree all the time. We're, we're together because we've chosen to be together, because we've bonded to each other, because we've made a connection and a commitment because of our devotion to one another. And I've got to protect that, even when I don't agree or she doesn't agree or we don't agree. Ruth gives us a brilliant example of this. Apply, I mean, the easy example was Marriage. Listen to this. The definition of devotion. He said, devotion, a consequential action made by conscious choice so that it leads to the benefit of someone else. I've got friendships like that too. So you can apply it in marriage, you can apply it in friendship. My question for us is what if we tried to apply it to church context, to church family, where our willingness to be together in covenant is far bigger than our agreement on every point and every every line of text. We've got to try and find ourselves in this story. Are we, are you, Richard highlighted the characters when he put the text up. Are we Elimelech, the father, the husband of Naomi, the father of the boys? Are we Naomi, the mother-in-law? Are we Ruth, who's the hero of the story in the natural the question is this, if you just read chapter 1, 
And you start in the first scene and there's trials and tribulations. You say, how will we face the trials God sends us? How will we face the trials God sends us? Will we be like Elimelech and run somewhere else? Will we be like Naomi and become bitter because we're currently empty? Or will we be like Ruth and find a connection that flows from devotion? So I want to bring this message to a close. I want the band to come back because they've got something special for us. But I want us to see this. The theme of this is all around this word hesed, which is devotion. Ruth, this young Moabite, not even born in the land of Judah, and she gives us this brilliant demonstration. How many times does God use those things that we don't think are perfect or ready or pure, and he brings them to reveal a kingdom principle to us? Ruth lived with Naomi and her two sons, and she finds devotion. And here's the key I want all of us to see. Devotion's the key, but devotion flows out of how we see God. Connection flows out of devotion, and devotion flows out of how we see God. You see, she's been living in Moab, and it's about 10 years, maybe a bit longer. There's a, you know, there's the two boys died in the war, and then there's a whole lot of other things going on. She's lived a long time with this family who come from the, the tribe of Judah. She's learned how to worship Yahweh. She's learned his laws because they recite them. She celebrated the seven feasts every calendar year with her family, her new family. She's made and presented offerings to God to, to show his, her, her understanding that he is Lord of all. And somewhere along the journey in this family, Ruth says, I've seen God. I've seen Yahweh. And so it's no wonder she says, stop urging me to abandon you. Forever you, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will become my people, and your God will become my God. I think what Ruth shows us is there's more hope with God than without him. Ruth shows us there's more to be gained by giving up our ways and committing to follow him. Someone wise once said, in order to gain your life, you must first lose your life. Ruth shows us that when we make a sacrifice to protect our connection with God and his people, we actually find our best life. But, but more than that today, I hope that Ruth points you to God. I hope Ruth... Chapter 1, as you read it and look between the lines as we've tried to do this morning, I really hope you find God. Because as you're going to see as the story unfolds, we've got three more weeks after this, you're going to see a God who loves you and has already made a way for you. Already done. Ultimately, you're going to see a God who has a plan for you and it's good. And There's a pathway that he wants you to walk in. And it all begins when you look at Ruth and you say, you know what? I too will make a sacrifice. I too will put down control. I will put down tradition. 
I'll put down my lack of understanding and I'll embrace God's ways. The question is, who do you give your control to? And the beautiful thing in the story is you begin to see it unfold. And we're going to do this over the next three weeks. You're going to see the pages reveal Jesus. Ultimately, he is the kinsman redeemer. He is the one who made the sacrifice. He is the one who made a conscious decision to act in a way that would make a connection for you to God. And only through Jesus. So what we say here is they say, we choose to give over control to God. Because Jesus makes it possible. He said, there's this action that I want to take because I believe there's benefit. And even before, even before you were a twinkle in your father's eye, Jesus already made that choice. He already decided he was going to take action to make a sacrifice that only he could make so that every single one of us could walk in connection with our father in heaven. He chose this. He made this choice because he has a a deep and enduring commitment for your very best. And he did it all before you were born. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. He made it possible for us to give up that control and receive eternal life with God. The scriptures point us to hope in him. So in the story of Ruth, you're going to see the pathway to God. But don't make the wrong choice like Orpah did. She had an invitation, she had an opportunity, and she rejected God. She went back to Moab. Ruth made the right choice. And if anyone here today wants to make that choice, then we've set up a corner where we can pray where we can invite Jesus to come and change our future. But if if you're here and you already know Jesus, but you're struggling with connection, I want you to understand from Ruth's story today that connection flows out of devotion. And devotion flows out of how we see God. So my prayer for you is that even if you're in a struggle, even if you're in a trial, even if you feel like there's tragedy around you find a way to see God in your struggle and he will help you with your connection let's pray God this morning we commit this passage of scripture uh, to the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives you are the one who brings about life You are the one that brings around hope and healing. You are the one, ultimately, that we want to give our lives to. So God, this morning, as people wrestle with the Scripture, as they go away and read it, as they listen to this message again, God, I pray that they would find you, that the Scripture would point people to you, Jesus, the way to God. And as each of us find that space where we give again our lives to Jesus, our surrender, our control to you. Lord, may we find devotion that leads to connection. And this connection that leads us 
to the life you've prepared for us. Lord, I bless these people. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior, I bless them with the knowledge that God is near to them and the grace to walk life with each other. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our message and it inspired you. Stay connected and get amongst our family. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or our app. We are Zion people.